Blog Talk Radio. You want to reply the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to reply the point. 15 on. afternoon and welcome to Replay the Point. Today is Monday, June 26, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen joined by Karen Helf of Tennis View Magazine who is on site at Eastbourne. Good early morning to you, Karen. Thanks, Pete. Good to talk with you again. Uh, absolutely. And uh, you're at Eastbourne for uh, for this week, but uh, last week, including uh, just a, a yesterday or a couple days ago for you now, you were at the very thrilling ATP Queens final where Feliciana Lopez defeated Marin Cilic. Uh, we had, you know, several interesting, intriguing finals on, on the schedule on both the WTA tour as well as the ATP. And who would have thought that the Lopez Cilic Queens final would have taken the cake? Yeah. You know, in terms of the level of play throughout the event, I, I want to kind of scold people for, sort of writing it off once the top seeds fell out because quite frankly the quality of this event consistently was really amazing and then to top it off you know really from the quarters to the semis to the final here some really great stories and I, I'm going to go on record as saying I think maybe this may be the best final of the ATP tour I've seen this year it's certainly one of my favorites. Oh, that's what a what a great memory! And uh, yeah, Feliciana Lopez, the the veteran Spaniard who seems to play his best matches on grass. This is his second consecutive final. And Marin Cilic, obviously a U.S. Open champion and, and last year's Cincinnati champion, had a chance to see him play exceptionally well. Uh, he, he, this is a guy who historically plays very well in the second half of the year, but he's putting up some really nice numbers and results in the early part of 2017. But um, sure, if you can elaborate, Karen, uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit more on just the caliber of play. Those are big words with respect to the fact that. Uh, you know, you had a chance to see, uh, you've seen a lot of tennis this year, a lot of finals, and uh, the fact that this is probably the best one that, that you've seen. I think we dropped you for, for just a second, so I'm just going to fill in uh, a few facts until Karen rejoins us here. And uh, actually, Roland Garros, this was, uh, Lopez has been on tour for, for quite some time, and Feliciano Lopez, uh, this Roland Garros, this was his 61st consecutive major that he has played so Wimbledon will be number 62 very intriguing stats for Lopez again been on tour for over 20 years and uh, again sixth title of his career having just made the final the week before uh, on grass as well so uh, very interesting for Feliciano Lopez to be able to to excel here 20 plus years on tour Marin Cilic, as I mentioned, uh, had a chance to see the majority of his matches in Cincinnati last year. He won that tournament. Uh, let's not forget this is a tournament that Novak Djokovic hasn't even won yet. Uh, Federer has won that seven times. But Marin Cilic played 
fantastic tennis last August in Cincinnati. And this is a situation where, again, he uh, is really having be, having being able to uh, play very good tennis usually the second half of the year. And, uh, again, he's been able to put it together so far the first half of this year. And hopefully he'll be able to get a career high once he has some nice results on grass. Jules Mueller also continuing to play well. Uh, he had, I believe, seven or eight consecutive wins on the grass. Uh, he won a tournament last week, and then uh, it took a, an outstanding Herculean effort on the part of Marin Cilic to finally end his winning streak. But um, plenty plenty to talk about at Queens Club. We're hoping that Karen can join us uh, here in a little bit. Some other, ob- some other observations, really, of what happened at Queens. Denis Shapovalov, the Canadian, who, as, as we all know, is infamous, if you will, for being disqualified in Davis Cup last fall when he struck a ball in anger and disgust, Rick, took a ricochet and uh, uppercut the uh, the chair umpire right under his eye, and Shapovalov was uh, DQ'd on the spot despite being down two sets to Kyle Edmund. Very ironic that he actually ended up playing Edmund in Queens in the first round uh, got a chance to exercise some of those unfortunate situations and memories uh, last time he played Kyle Edmund, Denis Shapovalov, and hope to get Karen's observations on him uh, on the court as well as in press, was able to defeat Kyle Edmund and then lost a very, very close tight match to Tomas Burdich in the second round. Seeds number one, two, and three at Queen's were ousted in the very first round. Andy Murray, who is the world number one and defending champion at Wimbledon, was the defending champion at Queens as well, is not having the best of 2017 seasons at this point in time. Lost to a lucky loser, Jordan Thompson of Australia. Very impressive in taking out Andy Murray. And uh, ironically, Murray was to play Ali's Benaday. British player as well, and that didn't happen. Instead, Aussie Jordan Thompson takes Andy Murray out in the very first round. Mentioned the top three seeds were ousted in Queens. Andy Murray, number one. Stan Varenka, who is just a Wimbledon short of completing the career Grand Slam, he also lost in the first round as well. Stan uh, was in the news recently for adding Paul Anacone to his camp. Uh, Obviously, Stan has his eye on winning Wimbledon. That would give him the career Grand Slam. Paul Anacone, obviously longtime coach of Pete Sampras. Uh, we, we know what he's able to do. And, uh, again, Stan is looking for that same formula, hopefully, if, if not even this year. But I think that what he's going to extract from Anacone, who also worked, obviously, with Roger Federer as well, should help Stan uh, for the remainder of his career, particularly on grass. And so, again, the top three seeds out of Queens, right out of the gate, not only did they not win a match, the top three seeds did not even win a set at Queens. Andy Murray ousted in straight sets. Number two seed, Stan Varenka, ousted in straight sets. Number three seed, Milos Raonic. We talked about Murray being the defending champion at Wimbledon. Milos Raonic was in that final, let's not forget, uh, he took out Roger Federer in that semifinal that that was the last match for Fed uh, for a while. But then um, Milos Raonic had his chances, all, unfortunately for him. 
Andy Murray is in his head with respect to what he's able to accomplish or not. And so seed number one, Andy Murray out. Seed number two, Stan Varenka out. And seed number three, Milos Raonic losing to Thanasi Kalkinakis in straight sets. So the top three seeds at Queens are out for the count. Love six in terms of sets. In addition to what happened at Queens over the weekend, we also had Roger Federer in action uh, at playing at a tournament that he absolutely owns in Halle, Germany, winning his ninth title in Halle. Took out Alexander Zverev, a German who beat him last year at Halle in the semifinal round before losing to Florian Meyer. Federer won the first five games out of the gate, won the first seven points, and then just absolutely cruised. He only faced one break point the whole match, that being in the second set. Roger Federer will go undoubtedly for La Decima in Halle next year, looking for his 10th career title there. And so uh, some news also is the fact that um, Novak Djokovic is actually going to be playing uh, in, in Eastbourne as well. And uh, Karen is on site at Eastbourne. And this, uh, again, with the extra week, now is a joint event. Was hoping to get uh, hoping to get Karen's take on. Here she is right now. She's going to join us right yeah, now. Yeah, uh, w- welcome, welcome back, Karen. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for thanks, thanks for thank your you. persistent effort there. Yeah. No um, sure. Was was talking. We I think we we lost each other when um, we were talking a little bit about uh, Marin Cilic and uh, and what he was mm-hmm. able to accomplish at Queens. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, both of these players, the court announcer absolutely said with full sincerity, it was a shame anyone had to lose that final. Um, and in fact, Marin actually won more points in that final than Lopez did, I believe. I can check real quickly. Yeah, he had 105 points and uh, Lopez had seven, uh, 97. So wow. talk about an insult to injury. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right. Life, you know. But, you know, we know with tennis, you've got to win the right points. And, you know, those break points are, are the key moments in the match. And um, so, you know, outstanding performance for both. And, you know, pardon the shuffling, but I'm just pulling out the scorecard because I'm working on statistics. But uh, first set, 93% of first serve points won for Chilich. And um, first serve points won in the first set for Lopez was actually 71%. Um, Numbers flip-flop later on a bit. Um, Overall, I mean, if you look at the ending stats, second serve points won 68%, 69%. The big one was, uh, you know, um, in the break point area, break points saved for Lopez, um, two out of three. Marin only actually faced one, so he was at 100%. But um, just outstanding stats, and not just for this match, really throughout the week. And also what really struck me with both of them is, you know, despite the high level of play, their willingness to acknowledge that, yes, they're playing well, but there was never any arrogance of, I got this, you know, I'm both very keenly aware that, that, you know, I think as I mentioned before, just a a small fraction of losing focus and that could be it. So um, also 
exceptional to see that kind of attitude and sort of that kind of um, poise, if you will. No, absolutely. That that must have been thrilling to uh, again uh, every guy playing exceptionally well and yet not you know unsure. Wow, can can I actually win this? Mm-hmm. Uh, not that they're not lacking confidence. They're just again out of respect of what's happening on the other side of the court. And Karen, obviously, it's a pretty short list of uh, of the Wimbledon favorites as it usually is. But uh, given mm-hmm. what you saw, not only uh, Sunday but also during the week. Either of these guys have a, a shot to possibly uh, pull it off at Wimbledon? I think everyone in the press room says yes. Um, they were both asked, and they were asked about each other. And, um, you know, I, I think in a number of conversations, they kind of both fell in there around the number three, number four spot. Um, certainly, if we look at but, you know, the big four, I don't know if we can all call them the top four, given some recent performance and as well, you know, for Roger, lesser time preparing, but doing very well in Halle. So who knows, right? He's got a new plan right. for success. Um, Rafa, you know, such a long clay stretch, winning Roland Garros, took some time off, probably made good sense to do that but does he have enough preparation coming into a new service so you know we'll have to see there as well so I, I, I think absolutely look if, if they can maintain the consistent level that they just showed this week I mm-hmm. just don't see how they couldn't beat anybody and, and I That's, would yeah. doubt many people would disagree you know um, you know no, good, uh, full, good, good point yeah yeah, and a couple of the other guys, uh, Jules Miller uh, won a won a tournament mm-hmm. the week before, and uh, he was playing exceptionally well as well, Karen, and it took Marin Cilic, of all people, to finally knock him out. Mueller, uh, 34 years old, just won his first career title, I think, earlier in the year or last year. Now he's got yeah, two. Yeah, it was Sydney. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, he obviously before that was – was known uh, for uh, eliminating Andy Roddick's mojo uh, at the year at mm-hmm. the year after he won the U.S. Open in the first round uh, there, and obviously has been been there, always been on tour, but uh, is two 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 titles as you mentioned this year. What, did you get a chance to see any of Miller? And uh, again, uh, with with the form he's shown, this is someone that nobody really wants to see uh, matching up against uh, early rounds of Wimbledon either. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, he, he he was great. He was kind of joking that he's he's breaking through, you know. We kind of <laughs> talking about being a late bloomer, um, but really enjoying it. Feels like again, he's for what for a number of reasons. Probably persistence, learning more about himself, becoming more confident, maybe becoming more relaxed, um, playing some of his best tennis. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, <laughs> I I think the the. 30-year-old wall or ceiling that used to be there for tennis for whatever reasons is really um, fictional now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another component that he mentioned, because he mentioned his kids a little bit, and I just asked him, I said, you know, there are people kind of pro-kids, maybe helping a player or not because it takes time away. Maybe it takes away their focus. And he said it absolutely makes a huge difference because when he steps out on the court now, he isn't just playing for himself. 
Because if he's going to take time away from his kids and time away from his family, he better use it wisely because it's precious time and he does not want to waste it. So, you know. Those are great words and insights. And uh, and again, uh, uh, amazing. Obviously, the shelf life is only so long, but as we're seeing uh, guys and and ladies in in their 30s, uh, mid-30s, late-30s, Playing well, playing yep. exceptionally well, but that's that's a very interesting perspective and uh, something that we can all respect. And going to go from a 34-year-old to a, a youngster, Karen, someone that you had a chance to see not only on court but also in the press room, young Canadian Dennis Shapovalov, who ironically uh, in that Davis Cup match that he was dis- disqualified against was against Kyle Edmund, and lo and behold, they, yep. they match up against each other, and he defeats Edmund, I know that uh, in some email correspondence, you mentioned you were impressed not only with Shapovalov on court, but also in the press room. Absolutely. You know, I, I kind of joke he got to exercise his demons and queens a little bit. Um, but in all sincerity, I'd never seen him play in person, and I'd certainly never seen this kid speak. And um, I'll start first with the presser. And I will say about two minutes into it, I was kind of screaming internally saying, let it go. Um, Because it was clear how remorseful he was about the whole situation. Um, A lot of difficulty, not just put on him, but really he spoke more about his family. Um, I think given the fact that it was a Davis cup event for Canada, maybe some of the compatriots weren't exactly kind after the fact to not only him, but he mentioned his loved ones. And that was really the thing that he was kind of most sorry about. Um, Of course, obviously hitting the chair as well. He also mentioned that the chair, you know, Arno was incredibly gracious. He feels so lucky and fortunate that this man was um, compassionate about the whole thing and didn't, you know, try to, to seek vengeance or, create problems or anything and if, if in fact anything he was kind of supportive of him he said he was joking with him in the locker room after the fact and really kept in touch with him to let him know you know I'm doing okay wasn't intentional maybe was a stupid thing to do but you know it is what it is but let me switch to on court now all I can tell you is Everyone I was watching with, and I was sitting in the either first or second row courtside with a lot of Queens Club members. So these are people who really know tennis, really know the game, watch a lot of tennis. The consistent remark was, wow, he's something, or wow, he's special. Because he, the way I kind of see it, plays with a passion like Nadal, and he has a not comparing shot style, but there's something about his technique, something about the way he moves on court that reminds that that makes you think like a Federer type of player. Okay, mm-hmm. he's lightning fast. So at you know his young age, he's already making good approaches into the net, which mm-hmm. we don't see a lot of young players or even some of the mature players on tour doing so well. So just extremely exciting. And the other thing that struck me is you see him on court and there's this 
you know, big stature guy, and he kind of has more of a body of a man. But when you looked at him in brass, it was boy face. And mm. and I just, my heart was sort of breaking for him for a few minutes there. But he got through it, and uh, hopefully people now will remember him for his tennis going forward. No, I agree. And uh, there, there are a few of those stories. And ironically, Nick Kyrgios had uh, some Davis Cup episodes as well. And, mm-hmm. and again, uh, th- that that is really the main line. You, you, you start winning, you keep winning, and people are going to concentrate and focus more on that. Uh, Kyrgios has been able to do that. And let's uh, hope that Denis Shapovalov can, uh, can continue as well. Because from your description, Karen, not only on court, but also in the press room, uh, Obviously, this is someone that we should keep our eye on for all the right reasons. And right after he mm-hmm. lost, uh, defeated Edmund, uh, lost a very close match to Tomas Burdich. Uh, no, no shame in that. Very good experience for mm-hmm. Shapovalov. And um, Karen, we mentioned you know the Big Four or you know what that looks like right now. Well, um, Andy Murray is part of that Big Four. He's number one at the moment. He was defending champion at Queens. He is defending champion at Wimbledon. Uh, he was the first seed. He's out. Uh, second seed, Stan Marinka. Mm-hmm. He's out. Uh, and third set, third seed, Milos Raonic, the finalist last year. Seeds one, two, and three out. And uh, in- incredibly enough, neither of the third those three seeds even won a set. Karen. Yeah. Well, you know, again, transitioning to a new surface. Um, mm-hmm. maybe coming in playing with a little more expectation, you know, of, of what they're going to do. But also, you know, Stan went also deep at Roland Garros and played a lot right. of tennis. And even though he didn't walk away with the title, he played as many matches as Rafa did, you know, mm-hmm. but didn't take the break. Um, you know, Andy, again, I think there's been a seasonal issue with him. I think there might have been a little bit of an injury early on in the season. I'm not sure now. Um, He also, if you weren't aware, put some added pressure on himself, which I kind of wish he hadn't done. Uh, Came out ahead of the match saying he was going to donate all of his winnings to Mm. the the Tower of Fire victims. Um, Great gesture. Probably would have been better for him to make that public after the fact because it just right. added additional, you know, on top of it. But his heart was in the right place, and I, you know, I understand why he did it as he did. Um, and I, you know, I'll say something else with Andy, and, and I asked a question to him in press. In fact, I think it was the last question, just about the fact that you know when all these things are happening around the world, it's one thing, but when it happens in your backyard and, you know, London's had a consistent string of awful activities, is there some sort of maybe an underlying anxiety that's there because it's your home, it's your place. And after the fact, when I walked out of press, I thought, why did I ask him that? Because there's only one way he could answer it because he absolutely came out and said, no, I, you know, it wouldn't be right to blame it on that. And I'm not going to put the blame there. And I agree with him, and I believe he believes that. But I also walked away saying, of course he's going to answer that way. Because if he didn't, the headline the next day would be, Andy blames Queen's loss on the tower fire. Shred him. The press would yeah. shred him. You know, and I thought, what a, you know. That's an awful thing. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm saying I don't believe his answer. I'm just saying it's unfortunate 
<laughs> that the conditions get like that sometimes where, you know, maybe rather than saying everything you want to say, you, you mm-hmm. kind of have put a line out there that will keep things more, I don't know, <laughs> on the right side of the press, if you will. So anyway, um, so that was that. I mean, he didn't, he didn't appear extremely angry or upset and pressed. I think he's kind of at a point of acceptance right now with what's happening and that he, he is losing, but talked about, he still believes he's got good chances for Wimbledon, but he's got a lot of work to do. And I think that's how he ended the press. So. Oh, interesting. And uh, we're, we're going to keep it with a, a, a Brit, uh, Kieran, uh, since obviously this, this went down and was announced pretty hastily, but you were there and just uh, obviously getting uh, unfortunate Dan Evans, uh, Mm-hmm. admits that he failed a drug test and wow uh you know unfortunate uh, on the eve of Wimbledon 50th in the world um and it looked seemingly like uh, all the things are happening right in his world and uh all of a sudden uh it's disgraceful for the Brits what I mean can you describe the mood of uh of what was going on there with respect to the the journalists and how how was this handled over there um, it came up a couple of times and, you know, I think first of all, the players are focused on their own things. So they're not necessarily following all of the headlines. I mean, I'm sure in the locker room, you know, it, it came out, but I, one press or somebody was saying, this is the first time I'm actually hearing of this. Um, and, you know, I don't know the circumstances. I really can't comment, you know, and uh, understandably, look, this is a, a personal situation, not a good situation for the sport. I don't think anyone wants to dwell on or sensationalize it or try to represent it in a way when they they don't really know the facts. So that was really more of what the conversations were. Um, I'm sure that there were some journalists trying to find some juicy bits, (laughs) but um, didn't, didn't really happen. So, Sure. And um, uh, Karen, obviously you were at an ATP event uh, last week. You're at a joint event this week, although it's uh, substantially Mm -hmm. tilted, if you will, with a 64 draw in the favor of the WTA as well. It should be with Mm -hmm. uh, this being a a legendary tournament with Martina Navratilova winning it so many times. Novak Djokovic uh, is there, but um, uh, actually before we leave Queen, uh, before anything to say before we leave Queens and shift gears to Eastbourne. Um, well, I mean, let's not forget doubles. Jamie Murray and, and Bruno Suarez won another one. Um, I think this is their, what, third or fourth title this year? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it and say I may be wrong, but they've, they've certainly had several. Um, you know, they played quite well at Roland Garros and uh, continue to be a formidable doubles team out there. So I you know, think we certainly look for them to be a Wimbledon favorite coming in. Sure, sure. And you're at Eastbourne now. You're on site. You were able to, to see Ostapenko uh, play yesterday, your time. And uh, uh, if you could just elaborate on uh, on really what this tournament is all about. Uh, I know that you have been very excited to, to get there and you're there and uh, just sort of the mood and uh, ex- obviously anticipation uh, coming up before Wimbledon. Yeah, um, yesterday was my first day there, kind of just spent a couple hours more towards the end of the day. Uh, You know, in terms of the event, um, smaller event even than 
Queens, a wonderful atmosphere. Uh, If you've been to the old Carlsbad event at La Costa, it kind of has that feel. It's definitely bigger, but it it has that kind of casual feel. I mean, Francis TFO was hanging out, watching the practice court, standing next to me today, ran into Carla Suarez Navarro after her loss to Ostapenko today, just chatted with her briefly, got a photo. Um, Very casual, nice, beautiful community, uh, very open. So it's a court setup where, you know, you can kind of keep your eye on two, possibly even three courts just because of the way that they're laid out and, you know, you can move between the outer courts really easily. It's got one center court and then another pretty large court, court one, that backs right up to the center court. And there's sort of a bridge between the two. So, again, you can – maybe you don't have a ticket for center court, but you can kind of peek in through the hallway um, coming out of uh, out of court one. And court one was where I saw Stepanko and Carlos Suarez and Navarro today. Uh, went to a three-setter, was – Quite a good match. Uh, Ostapenko came out very strong and looked like maybe, you know, she was going to take it in two. But Carla really, I think, noodled over what was happening and started to find a way to neutralize Ostapenko's power a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, her backhand was failing her a little. You know, Carla's kind of got that got the slice and just those shots that go just barely over the net and today her she was just a little off in her timing I think and a number of them just hit the net instead of going over but what I noticed is I think she she realized um, a she either needed just to absorb the pace which she did fairly well from time to time or let Yelena swing away swing 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 hit hard hit hard hit hard and I can just pop it back, you know. Mm. <laughs> I don't have to hit it hard. I'll just pop it back, put it back in play. And she did that a couple times quite successfully, where literally I think Ostapenko was playing her one-dimensional game of I'm just going to hit lights out, lights out, lights out, lights out, mm-hmm. but it's not working, and now I'm getting frustrated. So, okay. And then, you know, of course, Carla has some nice shots where she really has good placement. So it, it was an interesting match. The second set was great. Carla came back and took it. Um, in in the third uh, was reasonably close. I can't, sorry, I can't recall who got the the break first. Uh, I think it was Ostapenko, but ended up still 6-4. Uh, understandably, I'm sure Carla was a bit disappointed. Uh, she did beat Ostapenko in the Qatar uh, final in Doha earlier this year. So I guess it's a little bit of a re- revenge for Ostapenko. But uh, Carla looked in decent form and, and seemed in, in good spirits afterwards. So I yeah, wished her well for, for Wimbledon and uh, we'll see where she, she gets to be. I uh, didn't see much of this match, but just caught the end of it today. But Heather Watson took out the defending champion in Eastbourne, Dominika Sivalkova. Heather's ranked 117 versus nine for Sivalkova. So, you know, there again, that, that saying this year that, you know, it's not so much about the ranking. It's about who can come up with consistent performance, you know, for a period of time. And, Heather's comment, she was going through the uh, post-press conference on court, and 
talked about how she had to run things down today, and she said, yep, I've got some wheels, and I'm not afraid to use them. <laughs> she was quite funny, actually. Uh, so those were kind of the few few things that I've gotten to see today, and I believe Kavita was in the draw here, and right. she just had a win while in Birmingham, so I'm very excited to see what, what Petra looks like. So that one's definitely on my list of, of folks to, to get out and see. Yeah, it, it's Heather Watson. I mean, I think it was just a couple of years ago where she literally had Serena Williams uh, nearly out of uh, the Wimbledon tournament. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. And yet, uh, Karen, this is a 64 draw, and uh, obviously uh, you mentioned her ranking 117 needs a wild card. Uh, wow, was not too long ago where Heather Watson literally had uh, Serena Williams done and dusted literally and it didn't happen um, mm-hmm. Serena came storming back but that uh, those wheels of Heather Watson were on display then and uh, like to see her coming uh, coming back strong and uh, Ostapenko uh, Karen is going to get the winner of Sirstea and Joe Conta and all of a sudden Joe Conta I- I'm wondering about the pressure on her she hasn't necessarily had some good results uh, lately on grass nor on clay and all of a sudden you're starting mm-hmm. to wonder Maybe there's some pressure on her. She's got a tricky match in the first round, and then uh, should she get through that playing Ostapenko, who's just got a world of confidence at this point? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, we'll see. Uh, like you said, some shaky shaky uh, performances from Joe. She certainly got the skills, but, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the guys kept repeating it all week at Queens. Tennis is 90% mental. Mm-hmm. 90%. Is what sure. kept saying, you know. So, um, you know, coming no, up completely agree. Team, getting into the you know getting into the top ten is one thing. Having to perform to stay there when you've met that goal and kind of like now what do I have to do? You know, maybe that's where she's struggling with a little bit, but we'll have to see. Certainly, yep. she'll have plenty of crowd support. <laughs> Uh, actually, uh, sorry to disappoint you. Kvitova has withdrawn with an abdominal injury. Uh, oh no! Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. Bummer. Okay. <laughs> no, but uh, obviously the uh, the champion uh, on Sunday. So uh, very nice win for her. But um, yeah. Um, anything else uh, that you? Uh, uh, we've talked quite a bit about the ATP early on with good cause uh, you being at Queens obviously Djokovic is going to be at Eastbourne but let's let's concentrate obviously a little bit more on the WTA uh, this being a, a marquee event uh, any anything mm-hmm. else that you might uh, expect to see uh, or want to see and hope to see without uh, other people maybe withdrawing or what what your expectations might be at this tournament Karen uh, I, I gotta be honest I just arrived yesterday and mm-hmm. left Queens on a train last night at 10:30 from London, so can't say yeah. that I'm completely caught up on the full, you know, draw and everything. But uh, lots of interesting players on the ground, and and uh, you know, I think the one thing with the grass season, because I I was thinking about this with Queens, is you know, why would the performance be so high? Why would people be fighting so hard? Not that they don't always, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe because of the grass court season is so short, and you have so few opportunities that there's kind of an extra push to hit the ground running right mm-hmm. away because you have to get into form so quickly for a grand slam. So 
maybe that's an element of it, and I'm interested to see if that also stays true here with the women in Eastbourne. That's a good call. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I know it's early, mm-hmm. 5 after 1 a.m. You've had uh, just uh, <laughs> a lot of tennis in you, and you're going to obviously be on site uh, all week, but uh want to be respectful of your time, Karen. But anything else that uh, you'd like to share or elaborate on before we wrap this one up? Uh, no, I, well, yeah, just these smaller events, Queens and Eastbourne. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of Eastbourne, but what I've seen of the atmosphere of the event are just fantastic. Uh, and I really encourage people to consider going to events outside of just the slams because it's just a different look, a different feel, uh, and, and very enjoyable. No, I completely agree. And I'll quote Roger Federer when, uh, uh, someone asked him in Cincinnati if he were really impressed with all that goes on uh, in putting an event like that together, and he sort of chuckled a little bit, and he said, yeah, I would hope so. They've they've got 51 weeks to get ready for it. So uh, that's true, and uh, some of these smaller <laughs> events uh, in points elsewhere, uh, absolutely, they, they go all out as you're experiencing at Eastbourne, as you saw in uh, – uh, you know, the other locations, all the tournaments that you've been to, uh, Carlsbad as well. And so I, I agree. I agree with Fed all the way. And this is their week of the year. And so uh, why shouldn't it be all out? So wonderful that you're there, Karen. Uh, thrilled to, to have uh, heard your experiences from the Lopez Chilich final on Sunday. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to get a chance to see many other fantastic matches at Eastbourne. And so on behalf of Karen Hill, you know this is Pete Zeman. Can I, yeah, can I add one last thing? Yeah. Because I, okay, I headed to a small church today after I left the event because there was some great music coming out of the doors. And I sat down in there, and there were four banners that were in there. And they were the following. Love, patience, gentleness, and joy. And I kid you not, I immediately went, that's Feliciano Lopez. He loves the game. He yeah. was patient. He plays a gentle style, if you will. People said he kind of plays in slow motion. And now, boy, he's experiencing the joy of winning. So there you go. That's my ending. No, great, no, great last words. I appreciate that. And uh, hope we can have another show in the next week or two while you're still uh, in the U.K., Karen. And So uh, thanks again for your early morning today and uh, wish you good weather and good health the rest of the time that you're at Eastbourne. Take care. Stay cool. Yeah, on behalf of Karen Health, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good night. Mm -hmm.